All right, happy Friday. We're back per usual. Got a lot of good stuff. Um, how you doing, Joey? How was your week? Exhausting. <laughs> Let me tell you, no wonder they're saying Gen Zers aren't buying houses because this shit sucks. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have to go through it. I'm going to be an apartment <laughs> rat for quite a while longer. Uh, you're a smarter man than I. If I was born and raised in Florida and had the opportunity to live in a building like you do, I would be right there with you. I think I'm mostly just a more single man than you are. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. That's a big Very point. Very true. All right. Well, I, I think we should probably get started with uh, the smaller stuff because we have a couple of larger things to go into. This might be one of the longer ones, but on the smaller end, I know you sent me something interesting about video game pricing. And this is a topic that we talk about offline a lot because it's really interesting. What was that? I can't remember. Yeah. So um, basically, I just saw a little little meme on the internet while I was browsing one day, uh, got bored. And it was uh, that Rick and Morty meme where if you, anyone out there knows who Rick and Morty is, it's, it's basically Grandpa Rick and he's ripping back the wallpaper and behind it it says, the video game should be cheaper to download than to buy physical copies of because there's no, no distribution and there's no manufacturing. Okay. And I thought about that and kind of made a point. So. I'm, I'm glad you sent that because the second you did, I had like five thoughts immediately and I was like, I can't type all these out and I'm going to overload him and he's not going to give a shit. So the first one that I have is one, you're paying for convenience. I'll argue that all day is that you will pay more because you can do it on your butt from your seat. Second one is they still have to pay people a whole ton of money to get that stuff done. And I mean, I, I would love to see what some of those like open work floor plans look like or if they have video game developers working from home. I mean... It's just like an army of nerds on their computers getting work done writing code. It's like, it's, that's pretty intense. It's fascinating, actually, just because I'm, I'm a big fan of Destiny 2, and uh, I know John is as well. Uh, we both love the game of Destiny, but just watching their press releases and the different videos they put out there, I'm pretty sure they've been working remotely still as well, and I just couldn't imagine developing an entire AAA game from your bedroom. Yeah, it's kind of intense. And we talk about this in our office a lot is that the power of collaboration is intense. It's, it's different in person. And that's why we like it more. But the other thing I thought of was the advertising dollars is that more than ever, there's so much money being pumped into advertising to make sure that everyone knows when something's coming and what it's going to be and how great it's going to be. So I think I don't I honestly think that that price is still justified, if not cheap for what it is. The point you made about convenience is a very good point as well. Because I actually, might, I probably shouldn't say this in case some high-level video game exec hears it, but no I would almost pay 20 extra dollars to not have to get in my car and drive to a store just to download it from, uh, from my chair. Same. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Do you remember like a long time ago, back in, it was probably like the 2008 to 14 era. No, maybe a little bit before that. But either way, so remember when you wanted to get something, you had to physically go, if you didn't have a credit card, and we didn't at that age, you had to physically go to the store and buy like a gift card that you would type in to get Microsoft points on an Xbox system. That's crazy to think about. Like you had to do that and that wasn't that long ago. Now, <laughs> thinking about having to actually go to a store to get something when I could download it online is absurd. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why did we ever waste time with that? Yeah, and if you didn't live in an urban area, you had to beg your parents to drive you to that <laughs> store, which was an even bigger battle. <laughs> yep, yep, that's absolutely right. All right, well, that kind of leads into another one somewhat. So the UK is having some absolutely horrible supply chain issues. Like all the reports came out this week 
they basically like if you're going to the grocery store you might not be able to get the thing that you want to get it really hasn't hit florida i don't think that bad i don't know if you're experiencing anything it might just be an international but supply chains are just absolutely so screwed up this like past few months yeah the supply chain is definitely um all out of whack for sure um not so much that i've noticed shortages of uh, products on shelves in grocery stores up here, but I've noticed a rise in costs. And I know I sent you a picture of one a while ago too, when I saw uh, roast beef, I, my local deli, uh, Boar's Head Meat, mm-hmm. they had a sign that said the price of roast beef has gone up due to um, inflation, lack of roast beef. Um, and then you, you shot back uh, what lack of corn leads to corn. lack of Corn controls, else, so. corn controls literally everything. Because if you don't have corn, you can't feed the animals, can't feed the animals, can't get the beef, can't get the beef, can't do this, can't do that. Like, corn is literally runs the world. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> so you're saying we should quit our jobs and become corn farmers? Well, we need... Okay, I mean, I have different thoughts about that. So, like, <laughs> we should be truckers before we should be farmers because truckers is easier and there are so many... All right, all right, here's where I was going with this. This is... We got to come back. So the reason they're having issues is because there are no truckers. There's nobody working who wants to do these things. And here's where it connects to the video games thing. I have a theory. I think that we have a massive shortage of these things because people make enough money playing video games on their butts doing nothing or trading virtual racehorses, which we're still going to do. But people make enough money doing that that they don't actually have to go do physical work. And that's where we're going to see the recession is because you don't have people who are supplying these goods. And eventually stuff's just going to get so expensive that because we, we can't supply it, we can't build it, we can't deliver it. We're going to hit a point where, you know, I mean, Jimmy over there who's raking in the Twitch dollars is eventually going to be like, okay, well, no one can watch my streams because literally the entire state had to actually go work in construction because there was, there's nothing like we, we got to start solving our own problems here. We're getting in our own way. It's crazy. That is so true. I never thought about just the shift in kind of what our society values as well. I mean, if you would have said to me in 2004 that we were going to pay people thousands of dollars to sit on their butts More and play that. video games, I would have called you crazy. Uh-huh. And then on top of that, you got the TikTokers, the YouTubers. I mean, there's nobody in their right mind that wants to go drive a giant box truck across the country when they can just play a video game. So, and I know there's much more that goes into just playing a video game because you got to market yourself and advertise. And, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's more complicated than that. But at the same time, why would you want to spend your life building a career as a truck driver whenever you can spend your life building a career as a video gamer, YouTuber, TikToker, etc.? Right. Typically higher quality of life. I'm going to spin zone this real quick. I think this is going to be such, it's going to become such a problem that we are going to put all our efforts very quickly and fix it very quickly because what we're going to do, we're going to fund the electric self-driving semi-truck. Boom. We're going to fix it. I give it three years. Do you think Elon's going to be the one to fix it? I don't know. There's like four big startups that all have their eye on it, but the first person to do, or the first company to efficiently do it is going to be set for the rest of their life. And that's going to be it. I mean, there's so much that goes into it and it's gonna be such a mess, but we don't need to make all cars self-driving and we don't need to make all cars electric yet. What we need to do is take the really big cars that deliver stuff, get those automated. That would fix so many problems. You know what my big brain idea has always been too, if I had unlimited capital and could do whatever I want? Tell me. My idea was when the founding fathers of this country built our highways and our roads, we should have just built 
a whole second road next to it specifically for <laughs> these trucks that deliver things. Because then if you just automated all the trucks, then you don't have to worry about pedestrians getting in the way or any obstacles. Because yep. the only trucks on this road are the trucks that are delivering things. It'd be like a super highway for delivery trucks. Yeah, but what if one breaks down and the whole thing's stuck? Oh, geez. then we got <laughs> to create gotta a make whole another new one. job called... We got to create a whole new job called self-driving delivery truck repairmen. Yeah, you remember <laughs> Willy Wonka? That's what happened. It was like a, like the, the dad was out of work or something. At the very end, he found work as the guy who repairs the robots that put him out of work. Yep. Yeah, so we'll we're creating jobs then too. I agree. Solving the world's issues. Well, so this is interesting, kind of in that same vein of thinking. Uh, there was a German company who's made this product. I don't know if you call it a product, but it's they're testing in Illinois. Essentially, it's these wires in the road that do to your car, to your electric car, what happens with the wireless charging to your phone. So they said it was about ninety-five percent efficient. I don't know if the weather is going to affect that or like how accurate that is, but that is an awesome invention. And I think we should push everything we have into something like this. Cause that basically removes everyone's complaints about, I'm not going to buy a self-driving car. My truck can go 500 miles and that can only go 300. And like, well, no, now your car charges while driving, get over yourself. Yeah, that is genius. I actually saw that article this week as well. And I was thinking you don't even have to replace every single road with these, these, uh, you know, charging wires. Right, just so you even just replace little stretches that like, like most commonly driven on parts of the highway. Mm -hmm. Like, um, like if you looked at the lane from whatever long highway runs from the Northeast all the way down to Florida and just replace little mile blocks, you would just get enough charge to get you to the next mile block. Right. And do the ones that get hit the hardest by the rush hour. So like if you're going through, I know Charlotte has a, like, that's a big major hub for business. Like mm -hmm. just take the 5 PM rush hour, the hot spots. I know Jacksonville is the same way. Just the, the times when you're not moving, that should be when you're charging. Makes sense. Cause you're not fighting, you're not fighting an upward hill, an uphill battle. I mean, I just, I can't wait two years. The world's going to look awesome. I think we're going to fix everything. I have such high hopes. Yeah, it's almost then it eliminates the annoyance of sitting in traffic because you're getting a free charge while you're sitting there, too. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, it's the silver lining. All right. Yeah. So I want to do a short breakdown of NFTs. We had a, a listener who was like, I still don't understand this NFT thing. And I directed him to OpenSea, which is OpenSea.com, OpenSEA, like the ocean. OpenSea.com is a website. It is the largest NFT exchange on the planet. And he went there and he came back and said, I'm just going to keep my money in cash. This is ridiculous. And I, I understand why that was your immediate reaction. I totally do. So I don't really know how we're going to do this, but I guess we should give a, like a quick breakdown of what exactly it is and why people are investing in it and why I don't necessarily have an opinion whether you should or shouldn't. Sound good? It's a good breakdown to do because I am also still not 100% clear on NFTs. Um, I said that to the listener that let us know that. And also one of my buddies who plays football in the Italian football league was like, Hey Joe, yeah, I saw your podcast. Do you think um, it'd be a good idea if I created trading cards for my Italian football team and sold like 10 of them as an N NFT? Yes. And I was like, it's a great I was idea. like, I would say go for it, but I still am not hundred percent certain on what NFTs are and how they uh, grow in value. So it's the tulip craze. Have I, we probably haven't done the tulip craze story yet. Have we? Uh, I don't think we've touched on that, no. Oh, it's so good. Okay, everyone should hear this, but so it fits It fits in perfectly. Um, all right, actually, let's start with the tulip, the tulip thing, and then we're gonna do the NFTs, and then I'm gonna see, I'm gonna show you how they connect. So this is in the 1600s, this is a long time ago, and I love this story. In the 1600s, 
Tulips came over from India and China for the first time ever. And so the British people were all hyped about it. They were like, oh my God, tulips, because it's the 1600s, you have nothing better to do. And besides farm and hopefully don't get the plague. So having tulips was literally like a sign of wealth and they would trade tulips on open markets like stocks. Like it, you'd literally bet on different colors, different kinds of tulips. And it was like, a, it was a sign of status and wealth. And if you didn't have your garden of tulips that you were growing and getting ready to sell and everything, you were basically nobody. So tulips just kept rising and rising in prices. And eventually over the next few years, they got to the point where the math, the math works out to where the right bulb was worth about $400,000 in today's dollars. That, so back then that was untold riches. And what happened eventually is, this is, this is a true story, so this actually happened. Everyone wanted tulips and they were so impossible to buy, no one could get them. So one day, a guy goes to the open market with his thing of tulips that he grew and he says, I'd like to sell all of these to whoever would like them. And someone says, well, if he's selling those, he has to know something I don't know. They go run home, grab their tulips and say, yeah, I'd like to sell these too. All of a sudden, bank run on tulips. Everyone wants to sell their tulips. Price goes to nothing because everyone realizes, oh my God, they're flowers. They're not worth as much as a Lamborghini. Like. They're literally just flowers. Like it was, it was absolutely insane. So connect that story now. The tulips and the NFTs are exactly the same thing. But the beauty of it is no one was able to predict when that bubble was going to pop, when someone was going to immediately say, wait, these are worthless. And information, of course, traveled so much slower back then. There was such a delay because it, it was purely word of mouth or a courier. I mean, nowadays you can get information every second. So does that make sense so far? Yeah, I'm following. It almost sounds like a, like a good way to describe what happened with the Great Depression as well. So, Yep. Everyone all at the same time. Well, one, yeah, a few people were like, hey, uh, I'd like all my money out because, you know, I want to live conservatively the next few years. And people started thinking, wait a minute, if he wants his money out, he knows something else. Boom, 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 boom. And, you know, bank runs and such. Okay. Yep. So an NFT is quite literally a JPEG file that has been <laughs> like, that is it. It's a picture that has been coded on the blockchain. And the blockchain is, think of like a ledger to run a store. It is literally just a ledger that records transactions. That's it, that's all you need to know. It is a code in a purchase, or is a transaction recorded on this virtual ledger that cannot be cheated. So the reason you might be saying is, well, why can't I just go get the same picture and own that picture? It's not the same code. Something will be different about it. And humans and in our infinite wisdom, for some reason, think that having that piece of code makes it valuable, even if you can do the exact same thing X infinity number of times. So there has been a market created for these things and people have gotten real creative and they do collections and it's treated like the new art style and they trade, they auction. It's insanity. It's absolute insanity. And if you have to look at it and say, look, this is really fun to speculate on. If I can take $100 and buy a couple ridiculous NFTs, if I can auction them off, make a ton of money, you've won. Like you've already won. That's it. It's for fun. And some people are taking it seriously, but whatever. And I don't have an opinion whether or not you should participate. Do it if you want. <laughs> that's, that's the best I can tell you. Don't put your life savings in it. God, man. Some people do. Yeah, it's it's such a dangerous game, I feel like, because there's no way to know if it's always going to go up. I mean, obviously, the stock stocks don't always go up. But in the long run, the assumption is the S&P, the Dow, they're going to go up over time. NFTs, I mean, what if one day someone's like, wait a minute, this isn't worth anything. And everyone just wants to sell it and no one wants to buy it. That really, 
actually could happen, I feel like. Exactly. So the markets always rise because there's constant population growth. There's more people, there's more products, more goods, and more services available, which I mean, just in essence leads to rising numbers. There's more stuff happening. So that's why you can, it's why you can confidently say until we have like a giant birthing bust where there's just no, nobody being born for 10 years, that's when we would have an absolute market crash. But that's why the market always goes up and it's nothing magical about it. Mm -hmm. And the NFTs are the issue because they're infinitely created and there's always something new. So it's kind of just chasing one craze to the next. So when we highlighted like the Zed run horses, the virtual horses that you can actually race, that's a game. Like there's like you're, you're, you're gambling basically. You're, I, I see the appeal to gambling. I enjoy gambling myself. It's a heck of a lot of fun, but there's a way to win the game. The NFT game in general, if you're just going to buy an auction, there's no game. You're just, you're, you look at something and you say, oh, that's a pretty picture. I'll bet I can convince some 16 year old to buy that for more than I paid for it. That's the game. It's scam. Yeah, think about, it's, it's almost like just it actually is a virtual trading card almost. You get, yep. you, you buy a trading card, like a Michael Jordan rookie card, and it goes up and nowadays everyone wants to buy because there's only X amount. But I mean, one day in a hundred years when no one knows who Michael Jordan is, that trading card's not gonna be worth anything, so. I'm really glad you said it in that way. I don't think I described it properly. The way that you put it is perfect because everyone can relate to it. It's exactly what it is, it's a trading card. Even if you have one, 10 other people can have one that looks just like it, but it doesn't have the same serial number. And people like collecting stuff, we just love it. Yep, something about it, you wanna feel special, you wanna feel like you're the only person in the world that has it. And um, that's what gives it value. Yeah, you get your feeling of importance. How to win friends and influence money. They talk about that a lot. But the connection to the tulips is someone had a really, really creative idea that I kind of like. They literally <laughs> made a collection of NFTs called the Dutch, the Dutch Tulip Garden. And they're NFT tulips. Like, <laughs> that's the joke. Like, somebody knows the story and they did this as a joke. And it's just absolutely taking off. And like, you build your garden and grow your garden and can resell the tulips. I love it. It's just... We, it's like postmodern dystopian satire, and I'm all over it. Every piece of it. So let's say hypothetically, there's only he only coded, let's say, two blue tulips. So then all of a sudden, those blue tulips are going to be worth a hundred thousand dollars. Well, because it's like the horses, where you can combine the tulips, they pollinate and they make more tulips, right? Oh, so you get like the okay. descendants of each. It, it's it's a really weird way of doing. Like, I I don't even know it. It's strange, but. Uh, I think it's hilarious. I might buy me a tulip. <laughs> <laughs> I was say, you piqued my interest. As soon as I get some more expendable cash, I think I might finally uh, take a look into this world. You can take a loan from the John Wallet. Well, we'll figure that out. A nice little 10% temp temp interest rate. <laughs> no more loans. Don't start the juice on me either. I don't know what your interest rates are. No, no loans, no loans. So we're, yeah, we're going to have our tulip garden <laughs> and we're going to have our, our fake virtual racehorses. And when we're millionaires, we'll be laughing at you, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got to get a, a good horse, though. Yeah, I mean, good so horse. here's the funny thing. I followed the Instagram page. I followed, like, the official Zed Run Instagram page that you sent me. And within a day, within 24 hours, 20 more pages of, like, virtual horse breeders. And, like, it's the, it's the creepiest, most cult thing on the planet. Like, 20 virtual horse breeders followed me and was like, follow my page. We breed the best horses, but most win rate. And I was like, oh, no, I accidentally joined a cult. <laughs> this, is, this is bad. <laughs> Yeah, there are so many. Uh, you can start your own horse, virtual horse farm, and just breed horses and sell them. You don't even have to ra race them. What are we doing working in real crazy. estate and sales? <laughs> Why are we virtual horse breeders? <laughs> <laughs> we should be virtual horse breeders. You got 
<laughs> all the uh, all the capital, all the assets, and like very little liabilities. You don't have to buy any property. <laughs> just well, I mean, just the horse. Can your can your virtual horse die? That's the question. Does he get old? Oh, because I know I have you no have to, like, answer to that. They make you wait before you can breed them. So like that begs the question: Do you have to feed your horse? Like, what do you do? These are all very important questions <laughs> that will need research before we put money into something. Like yep. this. I'll try to get the research for Monday. All right, I think we've beat the <laughs> we've beat the heck out of that topic. I have another fun one. So one of our favorite companies to pick on is Robinhood, just because they're a ridiculous company run by a ridiculous supervillain. And so what they do, their referral program is really interesting. They say, okay, when you first join, we're going to give you one free one free stock is their big tagline. That's like. It's so what they put in front of everyone. We'll give you a free stock, and so I don't. It's usually some BS company, like whatever. But they obviously flash Apple and Microsoft, the super expensive stuff, because they're like, "Yeah, come gamble with us, and we might give you like a free four hundred dollars." But it never works out that way. And if you refer a friend, and if the friend uses a referral code, you get another free stock. So you have to wonder, where are they pulling the stock from? Oh well, they're probably buying it from someone else, right? Well. A bunch of companies have gotten really mad at Robinhood because they figured out that they were doing this and they're like, wait a minute, you're giving away our stock for free. These people are getting it at a zero cost basis and immediately selling it. Robinhood's tanked a bunch of a whole bunch of other stock prices. All these companies are really mad and trying to sue them because they're like, we don't we don't want all these retail people to have our stocks. We we price them for a reason and we want them to be in the hands of qualified investors. In addition, they're losing a ton of money because they have to mail out the proxy reports, which is like your voting report for uh, shareholders meetings. They have to mail out that that voting report to every single shareholder. So they're losing a whole lot of money because they have a whole bunch of different shareholders instead of like one concentrated crew of like 2,000 shareholders. Now they have like 200,000 people they have to mail it to, costing them a lot of money. That sounds like they have a reasonable bone to pick. I don't think the companies are being too unreasonable in this. Neither do I. I think it's kind of, I mean, again, the company's run by a guy named Vlad. There's no, there's no good guy Vlad's on the planet. And if you find one, let me know, because I'd really like to shake his hand. Yeah, I saw Vlad's interview with uh, David Portnoy. Some of you may know, the uh, founder of Barstool Sports. And that told me all I needed to know about Vlad. Yep, Vlad's just a Vlad, and he does <laughs> Vlad things. Well, either way. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. So that kind of leads me into what I think is the theme of this week. So the big markets are, this has been culminating for probably another month, probably about like the past few months. All these big investment firms have said, we're going to invest green. We're going to make sure we make responsible decisions. We're only going to buy companies that we have, they have diversified workplaces, they treat their workers well, and they don't burn a whole bunch of oil and all that stuff. Well, turns out, they're all lying, like majority of them are. They, they don't actually do that. <laughs> they, they buy whatever's going to make shareholders money because that is their job. So the big capital firms are now kind of holding them accountable. They're cracking down on the private investment saying, look, if you don't do this, we're gonna pull our money from you. And without our funding, you don't have your blank checks and you can't go invest all your money, which means you can't make all your money. I think that's kind of a cool theme. It's good, we're moving in the right direction. I think that's smart because it brings up two examples in my head right now. The first I think of is it's almost like when Mercedes uh, cheats the emissions test or not uh, Mercedes Volkswagen, Volkswagen yeah. when they cheat the emissions test. And then Every it's year. like <laughs> they get hit with a fine and they're like, don't do that again. And they're like, all right, we're sorry. We won't do it. I'm again. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next year. It's like, dude, yep. what did we tell you last year? Yep. No, they fire the whole board of directors and bring in their cousins. 
Yeah. Every time. It never changes. It's just ridiculous. And they don't like, they're not really regulated that well. So every time they come in, I'm sorry. It gets me every time. <laughs> yeah. And I know we've brought that up before, but that's just like the the perfect example that pops in my head. So I think holding them accountable is, uh, is good for progress in the long run. I agree. I totally agree. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I really wish they would be responsible and listen. But on the other side, it's hard to blame someone for something like that because again, they are doing their job. So there was a great story in the journal this morning about a firm. I forget the name. I know I'm doing a bad job with that, but either way. So what happened was in the early 2000s, they used to be a big oil energy investor and they made their shareholders a ton of money, giant returns, and they were killing it. So, you know, eventually the shareholders like, all right, we've gotten fat and happy off oil. Now we want to be the good guys of the world. So now we want you to only invest in sustainable energy companies. Think about the early 2000s. I mean, we really didn't have that kind of infrastructure and none of that stuff made money. It lost money more than ever. Like the first Prius came out and everyone hated it. It was awful. It was a terrible car. But point being, they were they lost like a ton of money. Like one of their funds had a negative 90% return. <laughs> so yeah, so people were not happy and then they launched another fund which lost half its value and what, what we learned from that is you know sustainable sustainable investing really hasn't been too it really hasn't been possible until now which is kind of nice it's, it's nice that it is possible now and you can look at it and say okay there are firms that are doing this kind of thing i know the man the sustainable energy companies that i invest in never make money and it it grinds my gears but i'm sitting there and i'm like you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. <laughs> they always put up some negative returns. It's ridiculous. It, it's funny that you brought up the, the Prius because that was the butt of every joke, I feel like, for, awesome. from 2000 to 2010 or whenever it first came out. And if anyone ever saw the other guys, uh, that movie with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, oh, the Prius, <laughs> they made so much fun of Will Ferrell had a Prius and they Mark Wahlberg was ruthless with him. No, oh, he's the best. And, and then I think of the Hummer in the early 2000s and, mm -hmm. and everyone like, like the Hummer was a cool thing to have. And then now it's like, ooh, you have a Hummer, dude, you're basically killing the planet yourself. Yeah. Enjoy your five miles of the gallon douchebag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. It's like you get judged heavily if you have a Hummer nowadays. Sorry if any listeners have a Hummer, but. Yeah, you can deal with that. You have a Hummer. I, I don't. I don't feel bad. So speaking of Hummers and Mark Wahlberg, it's, I just started the the show Entourage, and you know Entourage was filmed in the early two thousands, and so it's about these. It's about Mark Wahlberg and his buddies coming up in you know the L.A. film, the Hollywood film world, and him getting famous just from kind of winging it and doing his thing, and ended up being a really good actor. But one of the guys drives a Hummer, and they're just like they don't they don't care about anything, and that's kind of the theme of that early early two thousands era before the crash was just. Everyone's making deals. Everyone's on the phone trying to start business, doing this kind of thing. No one really cares. Just burning that diesel. <laughs> that was back when global warming was a myth to some people still. Yeah, well, funny enough, it still is for some other people, which blows my mind. But regardless, we're probably getting off on a tangent here. All right. Yeah. I unfortunately have let you down on the uh, the top three, so we're gonna do that on Monday or Tuesday, because I guess is when it gets released. I'll we'll think of something good and we'll, we'll be ready to go mm -hmm. for that. But otherwise, that wraps up what I have. Yep, that's uh, that's about all I got. I got a quote for everyone before we go here. Um, you might recognize this. I don't know what uh, it's from one of our favorite books again. Oh, great! But um, I'm gonna omit some names. So the quote is. It's a curious thing, but perhaps those who are best suited to power are those who have never sought it. 
those who, like you, have leadership thrust upon them and take up the mantle because they must and find to their own surprise that they wear it well. Okay, I'm cheating because I know you're reading it, but that, that's got to be Lord of the Rings, right? Close. Dang. That's, uh, Dumbledore says that to Harry. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, Gandalf and Dumbledore are just the same thing, but different. I love them both. Full of wisdom. I got a good one. It's actually from a song, which I like. It's uh, from the song Fast Talk by a band called Houses. Karma's just another word for bad luck. I like that. That's very true. Unless you create your own bad karma. But you create your own luck, don't you? Very good point. Boom. Love that. Checks out. All right. That wraps us up. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Tuesday morning. See you Tuesday.